morning, Christ Church. Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, what a day it was yesterday. You saw from the video, I was out in the parking lot from 7 a.m. till 2 p.m., and uh, uh, I can still feel it in my lower back, I can tell you that. Uh, you know, when I first got here to Christ Church 28 years ago, that would not have been an issue, you know, but 28 years later, I feel it in my lower back, that's for sure. Anyway, you'll want to pull out your Christ Church notes, they're there in your worship program. You'll find a pen or a pencil on the seat back in front of you. Go ahead and get that out together. And uh, we're going to actually be uh, bringing a close to our Sick and Tired series today. This is uh, our last week in that particular series. And uh, uh, I'm going to be t- telling you a story today uh, about the rich young ruler. That's what the story is we find that in the Gospel of Mark. That's where I'm going to be uh, Uh, reading from today. But before we get there, I want us to to read our foundational scripture together. Again, I hope you've committed it to memory by now. It's the words of Jesus, Matthew 11, 28. Let's read it together. Ready? Jesus said, come to me all who are tired from carrying heavy loads and I will give you rest. One more time. Jesus said, come to me all who are tired from carrying heavy loads and I will give you rest. You know, I think this is a great scripture. You know, uh, and I think, you know, why it's so meaningful to me is because really, truly, I find rest hard to come by. I imagine I'm not the only one in this room who feels that way. You know, Jesus knows exactly what we need, and he knows that we need rest, and he knows that rest is hard to come by. And the reason why rest is so hard to come by is because we have no margin or balance in our life. That, that our loads are unhealthy. We continue to put pile so much stuff into our schedule, onto our life. We don't prioritize them. They're just too heavy. And when that goes on and 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 seems like it has no break, it's no wonder that we find ourselves sick and tired because our loves are o- and our schedules are overburdened and overcommitted and uh overstressed. You know, the the Pastor John paraphrase of that verse is, if you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, Jesus says, come to me, and I'll show you how to have some margin and balance in your life so that you can have some rest. You know, the reason why we're so sick and tired is just this, that we believe that living life without margin and without balance due to unhealthy and unprioritized loads is normal. We think it's normal, and there's nothing that we can do about it. I've said over and over, at least for the last three weeks, is that, you know, that is one of the the greatest lies that Satan whispers in your ear. He whispers that load of garbage in your ear so much that we begin to believe that living life without margin and balance due to all the stuff we pile into our schedule is somehow normal. And there's just nothing that we can do about it. You know, last weekend, you know, I taught I taught you that how living life without margin and balance due to all of this load uh, limits your capacity to love. 
Limit your capacity to love. In fact, this is what I was teaching you last week. That, and we find it right out of the uh, right out of First Corinthians chapter thirteen, commonly known as the love chapter in the Bible. That unless I love, this is what Paul is saying. Unless I love, everything that I say is just noise. You know the the clanging. Uh, what is it, the resounding gong or the clanging cymbal. Uh, unless I love, everything that I know, everything that I know is incomplete. Everything that I know is incomplete. You know, if I, if I have the wisdom to, to uh, understand all mysteries and all knowledge and know everything about everything, but have lot, not love, I'm nothing. That's what Paul wrote. Unless I, uh, unless I love everything that I believe is not enough. Everything that I believe. If I have such a faith, Paul says, as to say to a mountain, jump. And lo and behold, if the mountain doesn't jump, but if I have not love, I'm nothing, Paul said. And then he said, unless I love everything that I give, everything that I give is of no value whatsoever. Everything I give is of no value whatsoever. You know, and that brings us to where we are today. Because, you know, unless I give I mean, unless I love everything I give is of no value, it brings us to the place of exactly where I think God wants, what God wants us to know and what God wants us to get today. We find the story in the Gospel of Mark. It's in uh, chapter 10, verses 17 to 22. It's on your outline. It'll be on the screen as well. This is the story, the rich young ruler. Listen to the story. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him and knelt down before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the guy says, why do you call me good? This is what Jesus asked. Only God is truly good, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father. Uh, do not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Check this out. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away. What did he, how did he go? Sad, yeah, because he had many possessions. And that's the story. That's God's word for us today. The story of what's called the rich young ruler. You know, ever since I was a little boy, this story has been called the rich young ruler. I learned the story of the rich young ruler when I was in Sunday school uh, in front of a flannel graph. I think I've told you about my, the flannel graph that we had in my Sunday school class. With the, we'd put the, 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 the characters up on the flannel and my teacher would tell, the Sunday school teacher would then tell the story. Well, 
This story has been called the rich young ruler for generations, in fact. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing about the story is this story is found in three of the four Gospels. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and the Gospel of Luke. All three, three of the four Gospels tell us this story. But it's interesting. If you read the story, just, just a little trivia here. If you read the story from the Gospel of Mark... It doesn't say anything about this man being a ruler, and it doesn't say anything, or a religious leader, and it doesn't say anything about the guy being young. It did say that he had many possessions, so we can say that he was wealthy, so there's your rich, but where is the young, and where is the ruler? Does anybody know why the story's called the rich young ruler? Anybody? Bible scholars? Anybody? Because I'll tell you why. <laughs> because in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says that the guy was young. It mentions that, that the, the man was young. And then in the Gospel of Luke, it says that he was a, what do you guess? <laughs> a ruler, right? Or a religious leader, a Jewish religious leader. So, you know, the way I figure is that you take the gospel of Matthew and the gospel of Mark and the gospel of Luke, put them all together, shake them up really good, and then you get the story of the rich young ruler. There you go. That's how the story got the name. But, you know, I think for generations, this guy, this rich young ruler, has been demonized and uh, has been uh, portrayed as one of the bad dudes of the Bible. You know, for years, well-meaning Christians have really bashed this guy, bashed this guy. They say, oh, you know, this guy is a moral coward. He walked away from Jesus. This guy was, this guy was someone who lacked commitment. He was a moral coward and the guy that lacked commitment. Well, you know what the implication of those, that, that smug talk is, right, is, is, well, you know, if I had been uh, there that day, if I had come running up to Jesus, oh well, that story would have had a different ending. I'd have never left there without having eternal life from Christ. And my response really is, are you sure? <laughs> are you, do you really think that's the case? You know, because the way I read the story and, and kind of put it together, it seems to me that the story of the rich young ruler is, is kind of our story. It, it's, it kind of represents who we are in a lot of ways. It's, it's, it's not just a story of this guy, but I think Jesus wanted to make sure this story was communicated, being in all three Gospels or three of the four Gospels, is because it's our story, our story. So what do we know about this guy? And why do I say it's our story? And then I'm going to tell you how this all fits into the sick and tired here in just a few moments. You know, there's a lot of good things that we can say about the rich young ruler. A lot of things that this rich young ruler did that I'm not even sure you and I would do if it were our story. I mean, if, if we were there on that day, if we had been seeing Jesus walking along the side of the road, I think there's a lot that we can say about him. For instance, you know, what impressed me is that 
Number one, you know, Jesus had only been talking to this guy for a very few minutes. And then the scripture tells us this, that Jesus genuinely loved him. And I want you to write this in. Because I think it's important. It helps us understand who this guy is and why this is kind of our story too. You see, Jesus genuinely loved him and he hadn't even been talking to him but just for a few moments. And then it says, Jesus looked at the guy and had genuine love for him. I think this says a lot about this rich young ruler. In fact, check this out. It's uh, verse 21. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt, what was it? Genuine love for him. Yeah, verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now, that does not sound like scathing criticism to me. All right? You know, a lot of people think that this guy, he was kind of demonized and, and portrayed as morally weak, you know, and lacking commitment and so forth. This just doesn't seem like scathing criticism from Jesus uh, for, uh, for me. I, I don't guess it does for you either. You know, and we need to remember that this, at this moment in life, for this young man, Jesus was, Jesus was no more to this man than just the latest prophet in town. I mean, he was not the Messiah for, to, to the rich young ruler. Jesus wasn't the Messiah. He, he didn't believe that, that Jesus was the Savior. He didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. For, for the rich young ruler came running up to Jesus that day, he, Jesus was just the, the newest and latest prophet in town. I mean, sure, he had a magnetic personality. Sure, he had a, um, a, a fascinating message, you know. But he was certainly not the long-awaited Messiah, and he, he certainly wasn't to this rich young ruler, the, the Jesus, the Christ of the Apostles' Creed. In fact, quite frankly, I'm not even convinced that at this moment in time, at the moment of the time when the story was uh, taking place, that even Jesus' disciples believed that he was fully the Son of God and truly the long-awaited Messiah at this point. So, are you sure, if you were the rich young ruler, are you sure that your response would have been different than his? I'm just not so sure it would have been. But one thing we know is that even to us, when Jesus looks at us, with all our faults and failures and sin and all the mess that's in our lives, he looks at us and he genuinely loves us. All right, that's number one. Here's number two. What we can say about this guy, this rich young ruler, check this out. He was, put it up, brave. There it is. He was brave. He was incredibly, he was an incredibly brave man. As I told you, it's in the gospel of Luke that we find out that this guy is a, a ruler, a religious leader. Look at the scripture right here from Luke 18, 18, both in the uh, New International Version, NIV, and in the uh, Living Bible. It says in the NIV, a certain ruler asked him. Now, remember what, how Mark said it? A, a, a certain man came running up to Jesus. Now, in, uh, in Luke, it says, a certain ruler asked him. And then in the, the, the Living Bible, once a Jewish religious leader 
ask him. So there's where we get the leader. So I want to say why this guy is so brave, in my opinion. First of all, he belonged to a very upper-class society. I mean, he was in the Jewish ruling class. He, he may have even been a member of the Sanhedrin. You re remember what the Sanhedrin is? It's kind of, for the, in, the, in, the, in Jewish life back then, it was kind of uh, a combination of Congress and the Supreme Court. That's how how big that was, how, how, how powerful that organization was. This guy could have very well been a part of that society, a part of the, of the Sanhedrin. But listen, for somebody who was a ruler or a, a Jewish religious leader, to, for, for him to come running up to Jesus was a risky Proposition. I mean, for him to talk to Jesus, to be seen fraternizing with Jesus was really risky. I mean, the eyes of the, the, the secret police could have been on him. I mean, if, if another one of the uh, rulers or religious leaders happened to be walking by and seeing this guy having a conversation with Jesus, I mean, he, he could have very well end up blacklisted and ostracized. I mean, this guy was really taking an incredible chance. In fact, there's a story in the Gospel of John about this guy named Nicodemus. And it's, it's got some similarities to the story of the rich young ruler. But in the story in the Gospel of John, this guy Nicodemus, who was also a Jewish religious leader, the scripture said that he came up to Jesus in the dark of night. So nobody could see him. I mean, he didn't want any prying eyes seeing that he was having any kind of conversation with Jesus. But what about this rich young ruler? He came running up in Jesus in broad daylight. There wasn't any cover from the dark of night. He didn't care what folks thought. He was different. He, he didn't care if, if somebody saw him or what was going on. He wanted to have this conversation with Jesus. And I think you and I, we can admit something if we're honest, that, that it really takes a lot of courage to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ in our society. In our culture, it really takes a lot of courage to be known as a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, what, are you, what will your friends or co-workers or neighbors or even family members think of you if they believe or know that you are somehow a follower of Jesus? I mean, am I right? You know, you think about it. There are a lot of folks who turn their backs on Jesus even today because of what other people might think because they're afraid of being ostracized themselves, of losing friends because they're a follower of Christ. I mean, I, I really think we need some more heroic holiness today. Men and women who aren't afraid to be seen as a follower of Jesus. This guy, he didn't care. He was brave. This guy was brave. All right, here's the third thing I think we can know about this guy, that uh, this rich young ruler was eager. I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. He was eager. 
He was very eager. In fact, check this out. Once again, it's Mark uh, 10, 17. It's the scripture. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came, what? What was it? He came running up, right? Came running up to him. Now, that must have looked quite undignified. You know, in my mind, I see this guy on the other side of the robe, seeing Jesus walking along, you know, it was broad daylight, and I imagine he just gathered up his robe and just started running across the street to catch up with this guy, Jesus. You know, and let me tell you, you know, I have never read a story where a Jewish religious leader was ever running before. I just kind of picture in my mind this kind of a bit of this smugness, you know, giving a little swagger in the walk, you know, as they're going down the street. But here's this guy running up to, to, uh, to Jesus, someone claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah. Maybe it was the only chance this guy had to talk with him. Maybe that's why he came running up to him. Uh, he, he didn't care about tradition. He didn't care about formalities. He didn't care about decorum. He gathers up his robe and juts across the street. Now, you know, this guy had some enthusiasm in, in coming up to Jesus in the middle of the day. I mean, he was eager. You know, you and I, I imagine we know quite a few people who have very little enthusiasm about following Christ. I mean, even those who claim to be a follower of Jesus just simply have no enthusiasm about following Christ. You know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the old um, uh, German philosopher uh, Nietzsche, the author of the God is Dead movement from uh, about 100 years ago, uh, had said he had one complaint about uh, the Christian faith, that among its participants, there seemed to be no joy about being redeemed. In fact, here's the quote he said, put it up, there it is, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers look more redeemed. He said there was just no joy in the people that he saw who claimed to be Christians. And eventually he came up with this whole movement to call the God is dead movement. You know, for the rich young ruler, this lack of enthusiasm was not his problem, was it? No, not his problem. He came running up to Jesus. He was very eager. Now, check this next thing out. What else was he? He was humble. He was humble. I want you to write that in. This guy, he was, I, I'm amazed at this man, in fact, because check out the scripture once again from Mark 10, uh, 17. Then it's the next part of the verse. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came first, running up to him. He was eager, right? And then what did he do? What did he say? He knelt down, yeah. This guy knelt down in front of Jesus. He knelt down in front of him. You know, I can, I can imagine, you know, if he were seen out on the street doing that, he was probably the, the, the butt of every lewd joke in every tavern in town for doing such a thing like that. You know, the, the prying eyes of people uh, seeing this would just make him look so foolish. It would make him look so undignified. And I, I suppose, you know, if you and I were honest, 
you know, we probably, we may not have done that. I mean, after all, think about it for a moment. At that moment in time, to this rich young ruler, Jesus was not the son of God, as I said before, right? Jesus was not the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus was not the savior of the world. He was just the latest prophet in town. But here he comes running up to Jesus, running up as the Jewish religious leader, and then kneels down in front of him. You know, I think that I'm not so sure, we, I'm not so sure we'd have done that. In fact, I think there are a lot of, a lot of us who, who allow our pride to get in the way, and it keeps us really from falling on our knees before the Lord. We don't like to admit that we need much help from anybody else, even if it means much help from the Lord either. We think far too much of ourselves and actually far too little to the Lord. As I told you before, I had a pastor who, who used to teach me uh, with regularity, us and our congregation, that, that we often take ourselves too seriously, but we don't take God seriously enough. And we allow our pride and our fear to get in the way, and it keeps us from, from seeking the Lord. You know, and I also think, I think for a lot of us guys, and I'm a guy so I can speak to this, you know, we have a greater problem than, than some of you uh, females have of getting on our knees before the Lord and just asking God for his help. You know, I think one of the greatest gifts that uh, the technological world ever gave to us guys is GPS and Google Maps. I mean, we no longer have to stop and ask for directions. You know, and why won't we? Because often it's, you know, we can do it, you know. It's our pride that, that gets in the way. Uh, for the rich young ruler, anyway, that was not a problem, was it? He was what? He was humble. Okay, so here's the last one. Not only was he humble, but he was genuine. He was genuine. This guy was genuine. You know, he wasn't uh, coming to Jesus with verbal puzzles and mental gymnastics and pious theological talk. No, that's what the Pharisees did. They'd, become, they'd come before him and say, hey, what do you think about paying taxes to Caesar? Hey, Jesus, what about divorce? Hey, Jesus, what about uh, life after death? You know, and they really weren't interested in any of those subjects. You know, what do they want to do? They wanted to catch Jesus saying just enough of a wrong thing in order to get him arrested. Well, the fact is they didn't care about any of that. You know, they wanted to tie him up and cut him down and squash him like a bug. But boy, it's kind of refreshing to see one of these religious leaders who, who's really genuine, who comes up to Jesus really genuine to ask him some questions. In fact, check this out. Mark 10, 17, once again, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. That was the first thing. Knelt down before him. That was the second thing. And asked, good teacher, 
What must I do to inherit what? What's the word? The eternal life, yeah? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You see, he was asking the right questions here. You know, he had gotten down to the fundamentals. He was, in fact, saying, you know, Jesus, you've clearly got the secret to authentic living. You know, tell me, what must I do in order to know in order to, to have life that never ends and in order to, to go to heaven, in other words. This is what he wanted. I want to be fulfilled, this man is saying to Jesus. You know, and I think for us in the, in the church, you know, I think we often spend more time talking about stuff that doesn't ma- amount to a hill of beans and we avoid the questions that are of substance. We so often avoid the questions of, of, of eternal, uh, eternal issues, eternal life, but we, we want to talk about some stuff that really in the scheme of things just don't matter a whole lot. You know, this guy, as far as I'm concerned, this guy was truly genuine. But you know something, you know, uh, his bravery, his eagerness, his humility, his genuineness was not enough for him. He had all of these things going for him, but none of that was enough. He felt empty and he felt incomplete. Deep inside, there were, he, he knew that there was something missing, something that was, hey, he knew that there had to be something more. Maybe one more law that maybe he needed to keep, or uh, one more ritual that he ought to be performing, one more thing that he ought to do in order to find this significance or this purpose, this, this meaning in his life, something that would give him some fulfillment. Obviously, for this guy, his bravery, his eagerness, his humility, and his genuineness, none of that stuff was enough. And yet, with all of his qualities, Jesus also knew that there was something in this man that was missing. And unfortunately for this guy, he did go away sad, because the prescription Jesus gave him was awfully radical. And I don't know how else to say it. What Jesus told this guy was radical stuff. Because he said, he said to the guy in verse 21, he said, look, there's still one more thing you haven't done. One, something you lack here. He said, to go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven, and then, after all of that, then come follow me. You know, let me just say, that stuff's radical. It's kind of no wonder he went away sad. You know, and when I hear people who'll say, Well, you know, if that were me, you know, I wouldn't have gone away from Jesus without having eternal life. I'd have made that commitment. Yeah? Are you sure? Are you really so sure that you would have followed him? Because I'm not convinced of that. You know, 
that's heavy stuff there. And I'll tell you why this was the way it was. First of all, I need you to know that, that this is not the same prescription that Jesus gave everybody. I mean, Jesus had different things to say to different people. I mean, I, as, I, as I was thinking about it, you know, to the Samaritan woman who was at the well, uh, he said to her, quit prostituting yourself and then come follow me. To, the, to Nicodemus, that I told you about him, he, he was asking Jesus, what must I do to be born again? That was his question. You know, and, and he told him, what he needed to do to be born again. And it didn't have anything to do with it going and selling all of his possessions. Then to the crippled man at, uh, who was by the pool in Bethesda, uh, he said, look, I want you to go and, and I want you to wash in this pool and then you will be made whole. You know, so Jesus told different things to different people. But here's the deal. Why would he tell this guy, look, I, I want you to go and I want you to sell all your stuff, give the money to the poor, and then once you've done that, then you can come and be my follower. Then come and join me. And, it, and I think I have racked my brain about this. And I think the deal is here, folks, that for, that for the rich young ruler, all of his stuff, you know, he says he had many possessions, right? You remember that? He has many possessions. He said, I think that all of his stuff was getting in the way of him being able to follow Jesus. Oops. All of his stuff kept him from following Jesus. That, listen to me just a second. This is what I think. That he had allowed all of his stuff to become so important in his list of priorities that his stuff had the number, occupied the number one place in his life. I don't believe that, I don't believe that for Jesus, it was simply, it wasn't that Jesus wanted this man's money per se. Listen to what I think it was all about. Jesus wanted what his possessions, his wealth represented. He, he knew that all of this man's stuff occupied the number one place in his life. And, it, and if you think about it, in every kingdom... There's only one throne, throne, only one throne, and only one person 
or one thing in this case, can sit on that throne. What is the number one thing on the throne of your life? And I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying to this rich young ruler. What is it that occupies the number one place in your life? Because if it's anything other than God who promises us eternity, who created us, who breathed life into our very nostrils, who somehow, some way hurled the sun and moon and stars and planets out into space and created all of this stuff. If he's not on the throne, then whatever that is that is on the throne needs to go out, needs to get pushed away before we can come and follow. And I think that's what messed this guy up. And when he thought about it, and this is what makes, what makes me kind of sad for, for this guy, you know, is when he thought about it, he wasn't willing to give up his stuff. You know, and I know I, I got to get off this stage here. I'm looking at my time, and I'm sorry. Uh, my pop, my pop said to me one time, and, it, and I don't know why he even said this to me. It was out of the blue. We were, we were riding in the car somewhere together, and he said to me, John, I hope you don't make the same mistake that I made in my life where pursuing stuff became my big priority. I've never forgotten that. I hope, John, you don't make the same mistake that I made where pursuing stuff became my priority. Well, as we go to be God's people in God's world, I tell you this story because the man didn't have the right priority. And whenever you have no margin or your balance is out of whack in your life because all your priorities are out of whack, it's one of the reasons why we're sick and tired. We're sick and tired because we have failed to make the most important stuff in life the most important. We have failed to give number one spot to that which matters most. And whenever we fail to do it, our life gets out of whack. And we find ourselves empty and spiritually depleted. 
So Jesus said, are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Because if you are, come to me, for I'll show you how to have some margin and balance in your life so that you can get some rest. And that is good news. Let's pray together. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for gathering us together in this place for the privilege of, of being with you and knowing you and experiencing this challenge. You know, we find ourselves sick and tired, Lord, simply because we have bought into the load of garbage that Satan whispers in our ear. And it gets our priorities all out of whack. And so I pray, Lord, for us today that, that we would get our priorities in line and make the most important thing the most important thing. That we would have time for the things that matter most. Lord, whatever it is that's in that number one spot in our life, if it's not you, Lord, encourage us and challenge us to move that thing away, to get that thing off the throne so that, so that you can take your rightful place there. For when you are on the throne, then all the other stuff begins to find its rightful place. And there becomes some margin and some balance into our lives. And our priorities, they start to make sense. So God, come. Do your thing in our life. Get us to the place where you want us to be so that we may be fully, completely, and utterly yours. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to invite our rushers to come.